they all say the same thing. With the exception of the people who stand by, just after Jesus' hands and feet are pierced and he is lifted up, scoffing at him, the leaders say, let him save himself. The soldiers mocking him offer him sour wine and say the same thing. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Then one of the criminals, even, who's crucified with him, derides him like the others and echoes the the refrain, aren't you the Messiah? Well, then save yourself and us. Since he's on the cross, he has to add that last part, and us. Three times, though, three times, save yourself, save yourself, save yourself. If, you, if you've made it this far with Jesus, then the irony is thick as blood. Because those deriding Jesus have forgotten how Jesus said multiple times across his ministry, whoever tries to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. The sinners crucifying him say repeatedly, save yourself. And Jesus says repeatedly, lose yourself. With these repetitions, Luke, the great teller of tales, is underlining something that he doesn't want anyone to miss about who Jesus is and how Jesus saves. How does Jesus save? Now, tradition calls this Palm Sunday, And usually I preach from the text of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But every few years I I move over to the Passion. Uh, I'm allowed, I think, just a few years every, every now and then to depart from the triumphal entry and focus on the whole Passion narrative. If you want to know what the Passion narrative is in Luke, start with chapter 22 and read on. Chapters 22 and 23 constitute. Luke 22 begins with the preachers and Judas conspiring to dispatch with Jesus. And the second scene has the disciples preparing the upper room for the Passover meal, the institution of the Lord's Supper the very first time. But what strikes me about the passion narrative is how completely devoid it is of any suggestion that Jesus would save himself. Where are they getting this idea that he would even want to do that? Every movement of the drama reveals Jesus giving himself away. How does Jesus save us? Would you come along and walk with me through the passion narrative? Stand with me. Let's let's sneak into the upper room and stand in the corner and cup your ear with me and listen in as Jesus stuns the disciples with what he says next. This will be our last meal together until the kingdom of God. And he takes the the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he tells them, this is my body. He takes the cup, he pours it out and he said, this is my blood 
save yourself and us? He gives his flesh and blood. This is how Jesus saves. Before they depart for the Mount of Olives, they get in an argument about greatness. And Jesus offers this counter-argument. The greatest among you will be the one who serves. Now, we've all been taught to think that whoever's being served must be the greatest. But no, I'll tell you, I'm here as one who serves. How does Jesus save us? He gives himself away. He gives away his power and his privilege. Just pours it out. When they go out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus finds a quiet place some distance from the disciples. He prays, Father, if you're willing, would you remove this cup from me? This is the cup of suffering. This was not Jesus' idea, but he's following his Father's will. And that's what he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. He gives away his own will. What he wants, he sets aside. This is how Jesus saves. One of the most difficult things, I believe, for all of us to imagine in our own culture of deep violence, and we, we do live in a culture of deep, deep violence. Just think about all that happens that we're numb to. There was another mass shooting recently. It hardly made the news. Culture of deep violence. It's hard to wrap our minds around Jesus doing this, but this is what he says. When he's finished praying, there's a crowd that suddenly comes, and they're led by Judas, and they surround Jesus. And Judas leans in for a kiss, and then one of the disciples, seeing that they've come to arrest Jesus, he sees how this is all going to play out. He takes his sword and strikes the slave of the high priest and cuts off his right ear. Now Jesus has just moments earlier told the disciples uh, to take what they need as they uh, prepare to meet the powers and the principalities. And the disciples say, look, Lord, here's two swords. And probably in your translation and in mine, it says, that's enough. But if you really listen closely to what Jesus is saying, he's saying, yeah, that'll be enough. Two switchblades against the Roman Empire, good luck, fellas. And yet the disciple takes the sword and tries to bring down the powers, and Jesus rebukes him. This is one of the most fascinating moments in Scripture. Jesus takes his hand and puts it on the high priest slave's ear and heals it. And he says, no more of this. Thereby pronouncing once and for all the end of disciples taking up arms to protect themselves. What to a Christian does stand your ground even mean after reading the passion narrative? And then he allows the officials to arrest him. Jesus gives away his self-defense. How does Jesus save us? This is how Jesus saves. They took him before the assembly of elders, the chief priests, the scribes. They send him before Pilate. They send him before Herod. They send him back to Pilate. 
Jesus says very little in response to any of their questions. Are you the son of God? You say that I am. I used to have a friend in college who, uh, when I asked him uh, what he thought about Jesus, he said, that's the guy who never gives you a straight answer. Hmm. Are you the king of the Jews? You say that I am. Herod asked him many questions, but Jesus, as the African-American spiritual says, did not say a mumbling word. Not a word, not a word, not a word. Jesus gives away his own speech. His defense rests in his life work. Let him save himself. This is how Jesus saves. On the cross, Jesus, in the throes of agonizing pain, gives away forgiveness to a criminal. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is how Jesus saves. On the cross, Jesus cries with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He gives his last breath away. This is how Jesus saves. Now, I don't think I've ever shared with you, I think it would be six years I've been your pastor this summer. I don't think I've ever told you what I think about uh, the substitution theory of atonement. I know you've all been waiting on pins and needles to hear this. (laughs) I, I know when you woke up this morning you thought, will today be the day that Mac finally tells us what he thinks? But we would all be really surprised, I think, if we sat down and just thought for, for 10 minutes about just how prevalent this theory is and how much it dictates what goes on in not only church life in America, but American life, period. There's this long-running theory that God sent Jesus in order to die uh, to satisfy God's wrath at humankind's sin. Substitution theory of the atonement. Not that Jesus came to so much to establish God's reign on earth as it is in heaven, but that God somehow needed uh, some kind of payback to, uh, to pacify God's anger, and God did that through God's Son. Now, there's room in heaven for everybody, but this is not what I believe, and I want to make sure you know that. Because it can lead to all kinds of trouble and all kinds of violence, because then it can justify the, own, the violence that we try to do one, to one another. Because if God can do it, why can't we? This is not what I see happening in Jesus' passion. Rather, what I commend to you about Jesus' passion is how Jesus puts an end to wrath by absorbing it. Again and again, he, he gives himself away. He puts himself in the way. And humanity, that's us, we hurl our worst fears and cruelties at him and he takes them all into himself over and over again throughout the narrative throughout his life and he extinguishes them this to me is what it means to say that the Jesus takes away the sin of the world he takes it away by taking it into himself absorbing it extinguishing it and putting an end to it forever. He embodies his own teaching. 
he turns the other cheek. He gives away his cloak. He gives to everyone who begs of him, even if they beg forgiveness. All this happens just in the passion narrative alone. He does to all of us what he would have us do. He loves us to the very bitter end, to his last breath. This is the one God raises from the dead. This man who does these things in these ways, this is who God vindicates. This human being, the one who takes away the sin of the world, is the one God lifts up. Everyone, every king who ever tried to save with the sword is still in the grave. But the one who showed us the way lives. Now this is the uniqueness of our faith. You can find in other, many other faiths moral conviction and all that's good news. You can find in other religious narratives hope in life after death or resurrection. What you cannot find anywhere else is the worship of a man on a cross. And he got there by taking all of our sin away. And that's where the path led. And because he did that the way God called him to, then God lifts him up to be seated at the right hand of God the Father and to dwell with him forever and ever. How does Jesus save us? That's how. The one who was pushed to the edge of a cliff the one who taught us and delighted us with the parables, the one who fed us with bread and fish, the one who walked alongside us in our pain, the one who healed us, the one who told us stories of God's faithfulness, the one who embodied all of these good things, the one who was finally stripped bare and his own clothes taken from him, the one who was pierced in hands and feet, the one who was stabbed inside and poured himself out for us, the one who was lifted up for us is the one who took all the sins of the world into his own self and put them to death. And therefore, God raised him from the dead. This, this man and this way that he saves us is the way and the truth and the life for you and for me forever. Thanks be to God.